It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and uh, this week we're giving you a little uh, hot take on the news. Uh, bring on the stupid, because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere, and we got to highlight it. Nobody else is doing that. we got to highlight that for you. And then I'm really excited to bring on Ted Williams. Um, if you've watched Fox at all through the years, you've seen, inevitably, Ted Williams. Uh, former police officer. He's an attorney. But, you know, he was that cop on the beat on the street. And then Fox usually brings them in when there's something horrific going on, right? There, there's a murder. Uh, there's a horrific uh, legal case that's going on um, because he brings such an incredible perspective. I think he's been on Fox now for more than 20 years. So I know you've seen him along the way, but I think we're going to get a chance to, to get to know him a little bit better and why he ended up in that prestigious position and, and why with such clarity he's able to kind of decipher and tell us all, you know, what's going on, what we should be thinking about, uh, maybe offer perspectives that we wouldn't think otherwise except given his law enforcement background. So uh, looking forward to having that conversation with Ted Williams. But uh, let's start first with a little hot take on the news. Look, we got big headlines. We got things that people are in tune with, but I want to highlight a couple of things that maybe others don't do as much. And I'm, I'm still, I know it was weeks ago, but I still, with Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, out there trying to, to tout himself um, and put him up, himself up there against Ron DeSantis, I, I, it just, I don't know, it just kind of gets under my skin. And I just, I just think, I think the last thing the world, this country uh, wants to do is be more like California. I think we're all envious of the beaches and the weather of California. But then let's talk about homelessness and crime and taxes and all the other burdens that they put on people. For Gavin Newsom to go and run ads in um, Florida suggesting that they have more freedom than they do in the state of Florida and that he's done a better job than Governor Ron DeSantis I, I just, I, that bothers me like you can, I, like it just really does because it's such a facade. And Gavin Newsom strikes me as the guy, you know, he wakes up every morning and he goes out in front of that mirror and he just thinks, he kind of wipes away the the fog maybe from the shower and then he just looks in the mirror and he says, good morning, Mr. President. I mean, that's the kind of guy that strikes me like that. He, he just... He's got that aura of, I am so full of myself and I am presidential timber. That's what I, that, that's my perception of him. And I, and I think that arrogance permeates from the way he is just totally disregarded. Um, you know, what I say versus what I do, you know, when he's out there giving all these mask mandates and you can't gather in groups and you got to save people's lives and, you know, uh, put your mask on between bites of food. And then he's out there and it's been talked about an awful lot. That French laundry restaurant, I think it was in the Napa Valley, you know, super high end and not a mask to be seen. He's down there, uh, at one of the basketball arenas, no mask to be seen. And then most recently the hypocrisy of going to Montana when he put on the state of California prohibits state money from being spent in various states because of their LGBTQ policies. One of them was Montana. So where does he go on vacation? Montana. And they said, oh, well, those are personal funds, not state funds. Well, the security detail is state funds. And if you think it's such an evil place, why would you go to Montana anyway? Now, I don't know where he went, but I love Montana. It's like one of my favorite states. Huge state, big state, so much fun. You want to get out and see America? You know, they call it big sky country. It is big sky country. It is the weirdest thing. You go out in Montana and you think, oh, my gosh, the sky is bigger in Montana. I don't know what the phenomenon is, but it is real. Anyway, the point is what Gavin Newsom says and how he does it, and to suggest that Florida is not as good as California, well, I guess the thing that uh, I would really point to, and maybe you've seen this, 
It's the U-Haul stat. U-Haul stat. Um, they could not get enough people driving their U-Hauls to California. The U-Hauls are leaving California and going out to places, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, Florida, Texas, Tennessee. I mean, they're going to states that uh, are, are pro-people. Uh, they recognize their real families and income and jobs. And I, it's just National Review, which is one of the better publications out there. They literally, they did this analysis of it. U-Haul used to have this statistic. So you could kind of see the flow of the country, who's moving where and how. But they finally had to give up on the statistic because California has run out of U-Haul trucks. They cannot get them back there. Now, I didn't see this in the article. Maybe I didn't read it close enough. But um, there used to be a program where they would pay college kids or whoever, you know, just younger people to drive U-Hauls, drop them off in, in California, and then fly them home. So that's what's going on with, with U-Haul, and I think that's just the key indicator. If you want to believe with Gavin Newsom saying or not, look at the U-Haul stat. All right, the next thing, it's his hot take on the news. You know what? One of my favorite things, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And people that wake up on some random Wednesday, and then something happens, and it's just, I, I really want to highlight, I saw this on foxnews.com, David Diaz Jr., uh, received the New York State Commendation Award. Uh, I believe this second grader, he's in second grade, he saw his buddy was choking, and he had seen it on television, so he used the Heimlich. And I, I, I think it was a, uh, a piece of gum that the, the classmate was choking on, but he sprung into action, did what he needed to do, and probably saved this kid's life. So hats off to David Diaz Jr., that's good. When a second grader does the right thing, we should all applaud. So good for him. All right. Time to bring on the stupid, because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. Ah, I saw that the White House had refused to comment on the National Education Association, the NEA. They had a proposal to replace, this a couple weeks ago, replace the word mother with birthing parent. <laughs> I just don't even begin to understand that. Um, they they threw this question to the White House, and of course the White House wouldn't answer it. Like, why can't you just take a position on something stupid? What the White House spokesperson said is, so we're not the NEA, and I would refer you to their team about that particular. Are you kidding? Are we going to change Mother's Day to Birthing Parent Day? This is one of the most absurd, silly stupid things I've seen. I don't want our kids in school taught that they need to go home and tell their birthing parent what they did at, at school that day. It's just absurd. And that to me is bringing on the stupid. All right, it's time to bring on Ted Williams. Uh, I know you've seen Ted on television. He's been on Fox for 20 years. Um, great guy. I saw him recently, eh, a few months ago, uh, at, the, at a swanky event uh, there in Washington, D.C. Uh, but I've seen him on television a lot. And it's usually, when, when Ted pops on TV, it's not usually something good that's going down. Um, so let's give a dial up and give a call to uh, Ted Williams. Hello? Ted. Jason Chaffet. Yes. Hi, Jason. How are you? Hey, good. Thanks. Hey, thanks for letting me. Uh, le- thanks for letting me give you a ring. I appreciate it. You know, I, as I've said a lot of times on this podcast, it's it's really fun for me because people I've seen on television interact with. Now that I'm been with Fox here for a little while, I've gotten to know a few people. I I think I saw you at some swanky. Uh, Washington, <laughs> D.C. dinner. But mostly I've seen you on television. And to be quite frank with you, uh, when I see you pop up on the television, I'm thinking, uh-oh, something's not going right with somebody. You know, that's the unfortunate thing, uh, is that we have so many tragic incidents that happen in America. And as a result of that, and because of my background, uh, I'm called upon quite a bit Um I've been at Fox now for about, I guess, about 22 years. Wow. It's been a long 22 years of uh, dealing with uh, various unfortunate situations um, 
that occur in our country, Jason. Yeah, I mean, when it's breaking news, somebody's died, somebody's been murdered, some something, some notorious cases suddenly popping up. Boy, the number of times I've seen you going live just off the cuff, hey, here's what we're seeing, uh, react to it. I mean, you're you're as good as anybody at doing that, unfortunately, because it's they're always difficult situations. It's never, hey, the economy's picking up. Let's go to Ted Williams. Well, you know, uh, uh, you're right. I, I unfortunately uh, have over the years uh, had to deal with uh, situations, and you have to get there before the camera, as you know, and you have to immediately be able to think on your feet. You have to be able to absorb what is taking place and um, in the matter of minutes uh, at times uh, I, I've had to do that. And uh, of course, as you've said, I've covered so, so many stories around the country. Some of them are just so heartbreaking. Um, I kind of remember Jason being in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where a guy had came from Kansas City uh, to Baton Rouge and just shot and killed quite a few police officers there. Mm. Uh, so there's also, you know, very, very tragic stories, especially when it comes to young people and young people dying and having to cover those things. It's not very easy. Well, I want to go back to, um, you know, I, I believe early on in your career, you were a police officer. I mean, the, the, what brings so much value to what you do is that you've been there, done that. You've done the homicide investigations. You've been on the street. You've been you, you, you've done this for a for a long time now. But I want to go back. Let's go back to little Ted. I don't know what they called you growing <laughs> up, but um, before you became the Ted Williams, what t- tell us about where'd you grow up? What was your family like? What was life like for you uh, growing up? I, I have no idea. Where were you born? You know, I was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana, one of my most favorite towns. Uh, had uh, upbringing in a community. It was the Brownsville area of Lake Charles. And it was just a wonderful period of time where you could grow up, you could be a child. Uh, and I took advantage of every minute, I mean, there were times I would go out fishing. Um, I would go out hiking. I was a boy scout. I was the first black paper boy in my community. Uh, yeah. So I, it, 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 it was just wonderful. And then I did um, my uh, intermediary school. I was out of a school called St. John there in Lake Charles. And then I went to what we defined as the mighty Washington High School where I played football and um, tried to do as well as I could in school. (laughs) Uh, Once I was getting ready to get out of school, uh, I had to make a choice of whether I wanted to go to college or whether I wanted to go into the military. Well, I chose the military, and I wound up uh, going to Vietnam. I was there for a year. I was with the 1st Air Cavalry uh, there in uh, Vietnam. Uh, I came back uh, to Fort Hood. And while at Fort Hood, the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C., they were recruiting uh, for police officers. And uh, I decided to take the test. Fortunately, fortunately, Jason, I passed the test. Uh, And I then wound up coming to D.C. as a patrol officer. And I kind of remember, Jason, my very first night on the street here in Washington, D.C. All of a sudden, I was in uh, involved with a shooting incident of a guy who was trying to rob a bread man. And uh, that somewhat stood out for me. But I wound up rising through the ranks to the where I got to the point of being a detective in various units in the police department. And one of the units I served in as a detective was the uh, uh, homicide squad. Hmm. Uh, There you saw all kinds of unfortunate incidents and you had to conduct those investigations and you had to try to bring the culprit um, to justice. Uh, So I got a lot of learning from that. During that time period, Jason, I wound up um, going and getting my undergraduate degree at American University 
Uh, I then went to Central Michigan University and got a master's degree. Mm -hmm. And then I wound up going to uh, Baltimore, where I wound up getting my law degree. Uh, also, during that intermediate time period, I served as a federal agent. I was with the Department of Agriculture as a special agent out in the Kansas City area. So, you know, I had all of those various things working for me uh, as I uh, matriculated through uh, my career here in the Washington, D.C. area. So I, I, I still want to go back to, to little Ted. Now, were you, were you, um, <laughs> were, did they call you Ted? Or were you Ted E? Were you, what? what? No, I, I was little rambunctious Ted. Uh, no, I, I. How many kids called, in your family? Oh, uh, there's six uh, of us all together. Um, my brothers and sisters all live in the Houston, Texas area now. And, um, but we all grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. So not, I stand to be corrected. We didn't all grow up in Washington, D.C. Jason, we grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> so you're growing up. Uh, you're rambunctious, Ted. Uh, you're playing sports, I guess. You're doing stuff. Uh, what was what was your first job? Like first, not you know, not your mom or dad telling you, hey, Ted, take out the garbage. You know, it's got to go. You know, they're picking it up today. Not that. Like what was your first job? My first job was raking leaves. We had in the Louisiana area while I was growing up, uh, storm. It was uh, defendants really Hurricane Audrey, and that storm killed quite a few people, and it left uh, quite a bit of problems there in Lake Charles. And I wound up getting a job uh, raking leaves. And by the way, I made a lot of money initially raking leaves. <laughs> Well, that's good. I mean, that gets you out there. Where it's not always cold where you're at. So, <laughs> my guess is it got pretty warm. Oh, uh, it, it was very warm. Uh, but I really enjoyed the work uh, because I somewhat graduated from raking leaves to doing contract works there for a real estate developer in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And uh, you know, that was a way of bringing in additional income. As a matter of fact. It permitted me, Jason, to buy my first 1957 Chevrolet. Oh. And I just had called for you and I to go for a ride in. You still have it? No, unfortunately, I, I dished it many years ago. But, Jason, this was a car that you didn't put any gas in. You didn't put any oil in. It just ran. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I... I just really enjoyed that car. Um, it was just a... What just color a was it? It was really somewhat uh, green in color, but it was that 57 Chevrolet. A lot of, of your audience will perhaps remember this car. It had these kind of wing fish yeah. uh, in the back back there. But again, that car ran without gas, without oil, without <laughs> water. It just ran. <laughs> It wasn't a small car. It wasn't uh, a Pacer or a Honda CRX. That's for sure. Yeah, very good car. Very no, good car. well that that's good. I mean, you, look, you figured out how to make some money. Go out and get a car. So, but lead me back to that decision where you said, uh, Ted. You know what I think I should do is join the military. I mean, was that a choice or did you have to do it? Well, you know, it's strange that you mentioned that because I had been an athlete in high school. I played football. I played baseball and was relatively good at it. But I had not been offered any scholarships to any schools or anything. And I was trying to think about how, well, first of all, uh, Jason, like many, I fell in love in high school. Okay. Oh, all right. And after having fallen in love in high school, and if I wanted to get married, I knew I was going to have to support a family. And the military offered just such a, a, a career. You could go into the military. You could take up uh, what we called at that time an MOS. And uh, you could, at the same time, support a family. And so I decided to take the route of the military rather than to try to go to college at that stage in my life. Okay, so you ended up going to Vietnam, but what, where were you based? Where, what, when you when you joined the military, where where did they well, ship I, you off to? 
Well, they shipped me off to Fort Hood, Texas. I, I stand to be corrected. Fort Polk, Louisiana. And in Fort Polk, Louisiana, man, you had snakes. You had all sorts of creatures <laughs> out in those woods. And you just had to try to find a way to survive. Uh, I became, uh, I, I, I didn't get any rank there, but they did put me in charge of uh, sort of like a platoon there. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I, I, I often tell folk, and I, I rarely ever tell this story, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. You could go downtown in Fort Polk, Louisiana, and you could get all kinds of medals. Jason, I think I had more medals when I left Fort Polk going back home just for a weekend than you can imagine. I, I, I was the most decorated, undecorated soldier that you ever wanted to meet. But I, well, that, I that's good. Home. When you're in the military, if you might as well be decorated, uh, that probably helps in many regards. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Ted Williams right after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. So what was Vietnam like for you? You know, uh, it was really strange. And let me pick up from Fort Polk there. I wound up going to Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama. And I still had not been uh, put on track to go to Vietnam. Uh, so I was there for a while, and then I was at Avenue Improving Ground. And all of a sudden, I got the orders to go to Vietnam. And, you know, uh, it was surreal. It, um, uh, I remember coming in camp, uh, in country, should I say, at Cameron Bay. And... Jason, you could hear in the base camp grown men crying. Uh, it was just such a scenario that people were there serving their country, but on the other hand, there was a great deal of fear. Uh, while I was in Vietnam, I was, in, I was a sergeant. I had about 14 or 15 men. I was able to get all of my men back home safely with the exception of one who became a helicopter gunner and he was killed there in Vietnam. But um, one of the most tragic incidents that I remember and it still is with me today about Vietnam was you had, at the, and you would have to envision this, at the bottom of a hill was a tent. And in this tent were all of these doctors and some of them were what we defined as short timers, meaning that they were going to be coming home very soon or, or thereafter. Uh, at the top was sort of like a motor pool. And I remember it like yesterday where one of the two and a half ton trucks, some kind of way was taken out of gear and rolled down into that tent Hmm. And uh, several of those individuals, those doctors, were killed. They were crushed by this, this two-and-a-half-ton truck. Hmm. And uh, it left an indelible imprint on me because um, I remember just breaking down, crying like a baby, after I ran down there and saw what had happened. Uh, while in Vietnam, I also had to take my men from one part of Vietnam. We were in uh, Way Phu Bai, and I wound up uh, taking them there uh, by boat. And I was able to get my uh, men all through this territory. But it, you know, we look at television and we see war, uh, stories of war. And it's nothing like being there on the ground where one day you may be with someone, recognize them, talking to them, and the next day, unfortunately, that person may no longer be with us. And that happened quite a bit there in Vietnam. Yeah, think, yeah, the number think, of people that we lost uh, through the various wars, but Vietnam was 
was particularly tough, and a lot of people came out very scarred from it, and rightfully so. And I, you can totally understand it. I don't, I don't think our understanding or appreciation of the mental health aspects either was really in place. And then you had a country who was struggling to figure out why you were there. But so you eventually did come home, um, and and then made the transition to the police department. Well, I I, I came home and yes, made the transition, but. Something that has stuck with me about Vietnam and that I'd like to just mention is we had so, so many young men and women, but specifically young men, to become or to come back to this country addicted to some kind of opiate. And um, it it was a very sad situation. But what what I would want even your audience to understand, Jason, is the fact that I never had to go out into what we defined as the booty boonies and fight, but you had men and women, men specifically that were in the infantry, and those people had to fight. And in order to get the courage up to go out there and fight, they somewhat got all hyped up with drugs, and unfortunately, it led to, as I said, a great deal of individuals coming back as addicts here in this country. But when I came back. I was fortunate enough, as I said, to land at Fort Hood, Texas, and from Fort Hood to the Washington, D.C. Police Department. Well, thank you for your service, uh, first of all. Um, And the other thing is, okay, so let's talk about the Metropolitan Police Department, because you rose the ranks pretty quick. Seems like you did in the military, you did in the, the, uh, you know, you did in the police department, and uh, this is kind of the story of your life here. So, but how how is being a cop on the beat, if you will, being a homicide detective different today than it was back then? Quite of a difference. You know, I awakened this morning and I saw a video of a young kid. Uh, The kid had to be no more than two or three years old. I would say three at the most. And here it was, this kid was cursing out a police officer Hmm. and hitting and slapping at the police officer. And I started thinking, and this happened only this morning, and I kept saying, what happened to us? What happened that that where we are now in what I define as a complete metamorphosis? And what do I mean by that? There was a time when I came on the police force that we were police officers were considered officer friendly and they were well respected in the community. You would never, never envision a young two or three year old cursing at a police officer. And you have to wonder, Jason, how did we get from being respected as we were at one time and all of a sudden now where you've got a three year old kid cursing out police officers. So I can only say to you that my experience on the police department at the time that I came on was very rewarding because you were out there not only to serve and protect the community, but to actually ingratiate yourself into the community. And uh, unfortunately, we've gotten far a foot away from that. Yeah, I think respect is the right word because, I mean, I've seen it. Uh, you know, I'm not a police officer, but I can just uh, the basic respect for, um, you know, certain authoritarian type uh, figures, just parent, even parents, um, has fallen so far away with the generation that is, it just treats things so differently, so so aggressively. So I don't know what the right words are for it. But it ain't. It can't be good. Um, and certainly, when it comes to our first responders, our police officers, our firemen, I, it, it's just the EMTs that show up on the scene just to help people. The nine one one operators that are answering the calls. I mean, every time we turn around, we hear stories, and it and and they're not just anomalies. They seem to be so consistent. Well, you, you know, you're right about that. But I got to tell you, if I could just back up a little bit about me and the police department and the fact that my career 
uh, in the police department was very rewarding. And I was able to use the police department to educate myself. Um, the job initially started off as a patrolman, walking the beat or doing those kinds of things and uh, dealing with crime that would be on the various beats. But then uh, I was able to elevate myself within the police department to become a detective. And uh, that uh, was one of the most happiest moments of my life uh, was being somewhat of a detective here in uh, Washington, D.C. area, uh, because you were able to establish a rapport with people People respected you, as we've already talked about, and quite naturally, you had a, a great deal of respect for individuals. Uh, but it also afforded me the opportunity to go to school. I was able to take advantage of a program that was set up here that permitted me to go to American University. American University is one of the best universities, yeah. by the yeah. way, in this country. And, and, and it afforded me the opportunity to go and get my undergrad degree there. And it, and by the way, I got to tell you something in your audience, something that happened. And that is, I made the dean's list. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. I, my high school principal is probably turning over in her grade. <laughs> Ted Williams made the dean's list. Yes, I made the dean's list. <laughs> the best kept secret. <laughs> well, that opens up some doors, too. It means you're studying. You're taking life seriously. And, and then you go on and get your law degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I decided after make, getting my undergraduate degree to, to get a master's degree. And so I really didn't have to or did not need it in the police department. But I've always felt that education was something that any and everybody should get. Uh, uh, I have um, four children. All of them have gone to college. Uh, well, well, I'm sorry, three of the four have gone to college and finished college and gotten their degrees as such. My youngest right now is working on her Ph.D. at uh, George Washington University. And uh, so I'm very happy for her. But it opened up the police department, opened up doors for me to, you know, to get my education. And then, as you've said, I. Went to law school there in Baltimore at the University of Baltimore. And um, shortly afterwards, I took the bar. And um, I was able to pass the bar. And once I passed the bar, I then hung my shingle out. And boy, I mean, I took on all sorts of cases. One of the things that I was, that uh, I take some pride in is I became the lawyer for the fraternal order of police here in Washington, D.C. And uh, it was a period where I was able to represent these cops, and it, it was a very honorable thing that I, I, I felt that I did. Yeah, I read a little bit about this, and you did have some very, fairly interesting cases. And um, for the police to entrust you with the, you know, the legal arguments that needed to go on on what are difficult cases, right? The, if, if they were easy, they'd probably not need an attorney, right? But if they need an attorney, uh, they're probably difficult situations. And But that says an awful lot about you to, to, to trust you, especially fairly new, you know, coming out of law school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it. Uh, they did the right and proper thing, of course, in trusting me. I say that. <laughs> but... Um, what transpired was the mere fact that I had been a, a street cop. I could relate in, to a, all the police officers, and I was able to establish a rapport with them. And the sad commentary is that at times when these police officers got in trouble, uh, I had to try to find ways to uh, represent them and get them out of the difficulties that they were in. And, you know, I was pretty successful in doing that. And uh, I've had a pretty successful law practice, I would say, Jason, for the last 30-some-odd years. Uh, I shaved my head so you, that tells you you don't know how old I really am. <laughs> well, um, uh, yeah, because, I mean, that legal perspective, but there's nothing to replace the 
hey, I've been there on the street. I know what it's like. I did what you, you know, I, I've had the same job. I've rolled up on a scene where, you know, all hell's breaking loose and uh, we got to go figure out, get everybody calmed down. I mean, that those types of things are just invaluable to, uh, uh, along the way. But um, it, it can explain the contrast and because you've seen it over over the years. You know, I look at some of these police departments like Seattle and, you know, Baltimore and some of these other places. And I just think, how in the world, why in the world would anybody go be a police officer? They don't. They don't seem to have the community support. They certainly don't have the leadership support from the mayor and the city council. And the policies they put in their place are so, what I view as sort of anti-police officer. Why, how some of these young people decide, hey, this is the career for me and, and have to you know, strap on a body cam and then get into these tumultuous situations is tough. Jason, you cannot conceivably imagine how tough it is to be a law enforcement officer today. Uh, I've always, and you've probably heard me on shows say, hey, if we got bad police officers, get rid of them. But you've got a lot of decent human beings serving as police officers, men and women. And, I, and you know, it takes me back to my very first shootout as a police officer. And I remember it so well, and I'd like to just kind of tell you and your audience succinctly somewhat about it. Uh, I was at a place, a hotel in D.C., working undercover, and I was at the cash register, and uh, I decided to go and get a soda. And I went to the machine, and I put the money in, and the soda came, and I bent down to pick it up, and I looked up, and here it was, a man with a gun on me. Hmm. And at that stage, all I could do, and I had a suit on, and I knew I had my gun on me, and I knew I had my badge, and and my money was um, associated with my badge uh, shield. And I knew at some stage this guy was going to ask me for my own money. But what he did was put the gun in the back of my in the in, in my back led me to the cash register, had me to open the cash register, and then he put his gun away. And then he started digging with both hands into the cash register. I made a move for my gun. My gun was strapped in. If you notice, it was a, during that time, it was a 38, and it was just strapped in. And so I couldn't get it out. He got his gun out first. He wound up trying to shoot me. He shot at me about three or four times and he missed. I was able to get my gun out and I was able to use my service revolver. Uh, this man, I was able to hit him several times. He was treating his own wounds and his girlfriend, from what I understand, turned him into law enforcement. And that's how they, 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 they got on to him. But it was a very scary situation. And that is what happens today, Jason. The men and women are having to face these very difficult situations. You know, and I want your audience to understand this. If I told someone right now, you're under arrest, put your hands in the back, and they just put their hands back there, you can put the handcuffs on them, take them to jail. But if I said to you, you're under arrest, and you start struggling with me, and I start struggling back, and the cameras, the cameras don't catch everything, Jason. They just catch that one moment where I'm trying to do whatever I can to control that person, and it looks like excessive force. So all of a sudden, the police officer is branded with that. And that is what's going on, and I see it over and over in our society today, where police officers are trying to do the right and appropriate thing and arresting somebody who's resisting, and all of a sudden, the cameras catch them. And as a result of that, good men and women are saying, Jason, we don't want to put up with this any longer. We are going to leave. And what you're having is the best of men and women are leaving police departments. And this, this is what's going on now in our society, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I think you're, I mean, I know you're absolutely right. I mean, we've seen that the cases where there has been just an over-aggressive uh, police officer who really... I mean, you know, kicking people on the ground. I mean, we can come up with an infinite number of 
of those. But uh, there's so many times when actually you play the full tape or from a different angle or you figure out how they got there. I mean, a police officer has a right to protect himself and make sure that he goes home to his loved ones at night. Um, and we place them in such difficult situations. And then we have these ridiculous laws that come into book in, into place. Like I was reading in Chicago where they can't even uh, pursue somebody on foot right now unless it meets certain criteria. You can't pursue um, in, in a car. If a car says, hey, I don't want to pull over, they don't have to pull over in, in the state of Washington. I mean, just things like I can't even imagine how these police officers are able to do their jobs. Well, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. What in the hell, excuse my language, do you want from police officers? Do you want them to lose their lives uh, by virtue of some of the rules and regulations that are put into place? I mean, you just mentioned Chicago. Jason, you are not in Chicago if you don't have at least 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 people shot in, in a weekend. Yeah. And, and, and you wonder, what is it that you want law enforcement officers to do when you handcuff them, when you tie the hand? I think uh, what your audience need to understand is it's the politics. Police officers want to do the right thing. You have people in these communities who want police officers there to take that little crook out of the community. But the politicians are tying the police officers' hands and they're frustrating good law-abiding citizens who just want something done in their neighborhood. Uh, we, we, we have got to get back to law and order, Jason. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say that in a lot of these major metropolitan cities right now, uh, we are not there. Jason, just think about it. I can go into a jury store right now with a sledgehammer, crack over, open the jury case, take my time taking whatever I want out, and dare anybody to try to stop me. Yeah. And I'm not making this up. I am telling you, Jason, that these kinds of things happen, and they shouldn't be happening. No, they shouldn't be happening, and and it, it, it seems like you have such a a group of young people who just 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 totally indifferent to it. I I I was once at Fox a couple of years ago. Uh, this is uh, pre-COVID, and um, I had an early morning Fox and Friends hit. I was on at like six fifteen in the morning, so um, you know you get get showered up, you do the show, you're all dressed up, you know, next, and it's 6.30 in the morning, and I'm like up and awake, and so I'm walking back from Fox, I'm not a block away from Fox, there's a little convenience store, and I go in the convenience store, and I'm going to get one of those little chocolate shakes, you know, those those uh, Fair Lifes or whatever they are, you know, the, the you, you know protein shakes or whatever, and maybe a banana, that's usually what kind of what I have for breakfast. So I'm in the back of the store, and these two teenagers come in. Um, I'm guessing they're maybe 15 years old. Um, man, they were, I don't think they, my guess is they'd been up all night and, uh, they were in that store yelling, screaming, just two of them hollering and then started pushing things over. It's just like, and I thought, uh, you know, I could tell, I mean, the, the, you know, that, that surge that comes into your body and you just know that, Hey, this this is danger. This is not good. There's something wrong here. And, um, and the store owner starts yelling at him and these kids start yelling back. And I think, and I'm not, no, I really don't know where this is going. And I wish I could help the store owner and just kind of take these, because I think the two of us could take these guys on, but I don't know if they have a weapon and they are, they are wait. Anyway, they just grabbed whatever they wanted to grab. They knocked over a bunch of stuff. Um, there was no thought from the store owner to even call the police because I don't think he even thought they would show up. And, uh, and, and these kids just took, you know, stuff off the shelf, took drinks, took chips, and they went out the door. And I thought, I'm actually pretty fortunate that, you know, they didn't pull out a gun or do something, something worse there. But just the attitude and the brazenness of it, it just, it really did frighten me. And the store owner was shaken, to say the least. 
He didn't even call the cops. And I, I said, why don't you call him? And he said, it doesn't matter. It won't make a difference. You know, Jason, uh, I tell everyone, and I'll tell your audience the same thing. If you step on a young person's foot, apologize. Say you're sorry and keep on moving. Because there are young people today that will kill you. There are young people today, unfortunately, that will pull that weapon. And you, you wonder, how does a young person get to the point where they got a weapon in the first place, meaning a gun, and number two, willing to use it in brazen attacks? You know, you just spoke about New York there. Can you imagine just standing on a subway platform and a train is coming and someone just pushes you in front of the train because it is funny. It is something that is not taken seriously. Uh, unfortunately, that happens. Uh, I, again, I don't know the answer, but I know that I try my best to stay away from crowded places, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a sad commentary, and for all your service in the military as a police officer you know working with the fraternal order of police being a, involved and engaged in the law i you know it should be it should be better and there it, there there has got to be a fundamental change and and some of this stuff is bigger than us the breakdown of the family those types of things but um ted i i got to transition now because uh i want to get your last thoughts on this and then we're going to the rapid questions and i don't care how many you know times you've uh, come up on a crime scene. I don't know that you're properly prepared for these rapid questions, but what, one more thing I want to I ask you about, and that is your time with Fox. How in the world did you make that transition? Because first of all, you're so good and natural, and now you've done it for a long time, right? It's just like second nature to you, but what was that first time you got on television and said, and they said, Ted, all right, we're going to interview you. I mean, what was that like? How'd that go down? Well, you know, it, it's strange, and I'll be very succinct in telling you that I started out in Hollywood. I started doing a show out there called Power of Attorney. Uh, I did that show for two years in Hollywood. Uh, I came back, and at one time for a brief period, I was at CNN. Uh, then I went to MSNBC. And then for the last 20-some-odd years, uh, I was at, been at, there at Fox, and uh, I got to tell you, the Fox family has just been outstanding. Just uh, I, I, you asked about the very first time that I did a television show. And I remember as a lawyer having cases where the television cameras would come in. I think one of the things, and Jason, you can appreciate this yourself, is that what we do, unfortunately, most of the time is live television. And live television, you cannot make that mistake. It isn't like you can take the uh, toothpaste and put it back in the tube. Whatever comes out, comes out at that time. Well, I, some people have an aptitude to it, uh, for it, and uh, other people, yeah, maybe not so much. So I don't know how in the world they pick you for the first thing and say, hey, go to Hollywood, Ted. Let's put you on to camera. But uh, they, they certainly knew what they were doing back then. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be right back after this. All right, I got to move to the rapid questions because we want to know a little bit more about you. And the only way to really get there is to ask these rapid questions. Are you ready? Ready. All right. First concert you attended? Um, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. All right. Now that is legit. I've heard some bad ones. That one's that. That's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. What was uh, your high school mascot? Uh, an Indian. We were the Washington Indians. What? Sort of like the Redskins, I guess, a little bit. But uh, the Indians, are they still the Indians? Are that, that high school they're, still the Indians? They're, no, they uh, are no longer that. But it was something that was acceptable and something that was honorable in being the Washington Indians. And we had the utmost respect for all of the tribes. Yeah, so did I. Look, I've grown up out west where we actually do have a lot of Indian tribes, you know, out, out in Utah. 
uh, we got we got a lot of Indian tribes, and I have nothing but the greatest respect for them. And some of the golf courses and others are named after them. And fortunately, I don't think we've gone down the path of saying, "Oh, that's just you know political, politically wrong." It's just it's nothing but respect and admiration, and and uh, and, and a, I think an appreciation for at least the start of of some comprehension of how difficult we've made it for some of these native americans but anyway that's a whole nother topic too so uh did you have a pet growing up ted yes i had a pet dog ricky i miss ricky till this moment jason <laughs> what kind of dog was ricky ricky was uh, a mixture of everything you can conceivably think of uh, <laughs> but he was a wonderful dog and i i, I enjoyed ricky let's put it that way yeah, you know, I think of my dog socks and all the. I just, you know, from my earliest childhood right up until I was into my teens, and that dog was with me all the time when I got sad or scared or mad or just by myself. And I, I just would spend, I don't know how many hours with that dog laying on that. It was a big dog. It was like a, it was a mutt, but it was more sheepdog than anything else. And this poor thing, at the time we were in Arizona, this dog had more hair. Uh, that thing would just pant. It was just, because <sighs> it was so hot. And I would lay on him. I'd use him as a pillow. I would, you know, I, it, anyway, it was just, um, <laughs> I, I, but I think of all the times that I spent with this dog and, and what a blessing it was in my life. I, I just loved it. All right. Uh, when I say, uh, Ted, what's life's most embarrassing moment? What pops in your mind? Uh, um, being caught in the girls' dormitory. <laughs> Wait a sec. This was I'm something sorry. that didn't happen by accident, Ted. That was embarrassing. <laughs> um, this is a family-friendly show, so maybe we'll skip through the details, I but I will trust that that was embarrassing. That was embarrassing. <laughs> Sorry, and I won't. Uh, I, I will leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Well, our imagination is probably more creative than anything else, but uh, okay. we believe you on that one. Uh, unique talent that you have that maybe nobody knows about. The inability, and I want to use this one more time, the inability to sing. Uh, I'm the only person who tries to sing in the shower. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, growing up, I thought I was going to be the next Elvis Presley. Uh, far, far removed from Elvis. Elvis, you could sing. I had the unfortunate inability to be able to sing. Yeah, I'm in that category, too. You know, my whole family, my wife and kids, they, they can all sing, belt out a tune. They can play an instrument. I am the I, I am the designated listener. I like, Jason, don't even try. Just sit there. Don't, you know, if we have to mouth the words in church, just mouth them. Just don't actually project anything. I, I'm that guy. I'm I'm with you on that one. Very well. Oh, this is so funny. All right, big question we always ask our guests. Uh, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes, pizza. Oh, Ted. Yes, 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 yes. Did you not That's learn right. anything along the way? You don't put wet fruit on a pizza. I know, but I got to tell you, good friend, just yesterday I had a pizza with pineapple on it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. And Jason, when you come to Washington, we're going to make sure we take you to that same identical <laughs> pizza place. Hey, if we were yeah. in Honolulu or something, you know, I, okay, Hawaiian pizza, I get that. But I don't know if D.C., if you're going to get a pineapple on a pizza in me, but I'll try, I, I, I'll try, and I'll, I'll try it again. I've tried it. It's awful. But, yeah, if you want to, okay. I, I... Absolutely, my friend. All right. Uh, what's, that, what's that other thing for for Ted Williams. Now, when I say other thing, like what's the thing when you want to go out, clear your head, you know, just forget about the world, just kind of get back to a peaceful place. What is it that you do? You know, I lay back, I stay at home, I listen to some very good music. And if you really want to get into some good music, listen to Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Very, very soothing music. 
And I, I'll listen to him, and uh, uh, that's one of the things that I do primarily is just lay back. Also, I'm a, a history buff, and uh, I have studied, uh, I would say, the Civil War period more than any other history. And so when I'm in the Washington area here, I'll go to places like Harper's Ferry, um, and uh, where John Brown led his raid at, or you can go to Lee's Mansion there at Arlington Cemetery. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really urge your audience to do is to go to Arlington Cemetery and watch the changing of the guards. Uh, I don't. There are individuals who come in this town to visit me. They've got to go there to Arlington Cemetery. It is just such a a, a chilling but realistic place to be when it comes to the changing of the guards. And I'm sure, Jason, you've been out there on many occasions. Yeah, you know, I went there um, as a kid. Uh, my my uh, grandfather was a, a career FBI agent, and he took me oh, out there. Really? And I And I remember how crowded it was, and there were a lot of people, and it was hot. You know, it was like great in the middle of the summer. And, and so I made it a point when I when I joined the Congress, um, and then I was I was in town uh, during the winter, and it was cold. I mean, Ted, it was it was cold. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get up early. The moment they open those gates, I'm going to get up there, and I wanted to go experience the 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 tomb of the unknown soldier when nobody else was there. Like I wanted to be the only person there. And so the gate opened. I kind of hustled up there uh there's kind of a path and then a hill and you get up there and uh i was i was the only person and uh i it was such a serene uh spiritual kind of almost moment and there was the there was the uh the ceremony and uh i was the only one there and i it meant a lot to me and i i hope everybody gets that chance it's you know there's a lot of fun things go to lincoln memorial go on the mall go you know try to tour the white house and all that but i don't think a tour is complete without i think people should go to the ford's theater and go see where yeah. lincoln was shot that's one of the best museums that nobody goes to but then you know, going to arlington it, and you look at the sea of people who have served this nation and given their lives serving this nation, it, it really is overwhelming. It's overwhelming, and uh, you just mentioned something else, um, the, the Ford Theater. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if individuals realize it, but there's so many free, free things you can do in Washington, D.C. And when you go to the Ford Theater there and you see where Abraham Lincoln was shot, and killed and where his body was taken across the street from the Ford Theater there. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's just surreal. It is certainly something that I encourage individuals to do when they come to Washington, D.C., or if they even live here in Washington, D.C. Yeah, no kidding. Sometimes you live so close and you don't go do the things that are right in your own backyard. My my wife and I, you know, we live in Utah. And we talk about all the time, all the different places and go, you place you can go and hikes and and uh, and then once you do them, you're like, gosh, that was amazing. Nobody gets to do that. Let's go do that again. And so, Ted, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for your service to your country. Thanks for your service as, you know, in law enforcement. And uh, thanks for giving us those that, you know, when tragedy strikes and, and there is breaking news and it's something horrific and a murder or something, I mean, just really difficult. They call your number and and there's a reason why you're up on the screen explaining it to us all and. But thanks for doing that, and, and thanks for giving us some insight about who you are and how you got there, and really do appreciate your taking the time with us. And my pleasure, and uh, I can tell your audience recently, I was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner with you and your wife, and you have one of the most gracious wives. And Jason, by the way, you married up. Yeah. No, I'm not. I, I made a good deal. I'm not getting out of it. I promise you. So. <laughs> <laughs> thanks ted you're very kind it was real fun for us to spend some time in person and i i hope our pa our paths are able to cross uh more in person because i really did enjoy uh spending some time with you sharing some laughs there were some funny things going on there and and that was good and uh, uh i'm just glad to continue to be with you at fox so ted williams everybody thanks for joining us today on the jason in the house podcast my pleasure can't thank Ted enough for, uh, like I said to, to him, for his service, uh, his insight. Um, he just, you know, sounds like a great American who's just 
working hard. Um, he's got some leadership qualities. You don't rise the ranks so quickly uh, in the police, in the military, in the law, <laughs> uh, the way he has on television, unless you got some games. So I really appreciate Ted joining us. I really enjoyed that. I, I love hearing people's stories. And that's why, you know, what Jason the House podcast is all about. I hope, uh, hope you get a chance to see kind of a little bit deeper, a little bit under the hood and I'm hoping you can uh, rate this podcast, uh, subscribe to it. Uh, there are other good podcasts from Fox over at foxnewspodcast.com. Um, and I hope you stick with us and come back next week where we'll have another exciting guest. So I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.